episode 77 is where you're at. Have you heard of somatic therapy? Guess what? Me neither. (laughs) Today's episode dove into exactly what somatic therapy is and how this diverse modality of health and medicine solves biological and emotional problems, from emotional eating through to being put back together after a car accident. And it does this through the manipulation of the mind-body connection and a deep understanding of what that truly is. Not only that, but we also dive into diet and how these things relate, how somatic therapy and nutrition come together. Okay, let's dive in. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Welcome to today's interview episode of the show. It is my mission to coach 150 individuals to create the sustainable, healthy life that they truly want before December 2020. And before we kick off, I want to send out some virtual love to everyone. And I hope everyone is doing okay in this strange time. And if you're not, be sure to reach out to your support network when this is all over. I demand, I demand that we have World Hug Day so we can hurry up and stop acting as if we're scared of other humans in the supermarket or out when we're walking or whatever. It's just absurd. We need to start repopulating our microbiomes, our gut, back to healthy human closeness. Being all so separate is actually not good for our stomachs. Anyhow, that's today's public service announcement over. <laughs> now, you already know that I am all about food as fuel and food as medicine. And so, I'm excited to have today's guest, Todd Nyholm, on the show. Todd is a somatic therapist whom, through personal experience, has discovered the undeniable relationship between mind and body. His studies have made him an expert in several types of therapy, from visceral manipulation and craniosacral to acupressure, shiatsu, and reflexology. He He has been running a somatic therapy practice since 2002 and continues his holistic education by maintaining his studies at the renowned South Florida Burral and Upledger Institutes. He is the author of the book titled, Ah, Food, Why Do You Trouble Me So Much? (laughs) And also the creator of the Nitality Life Method, which offers people the solutions they need to live a healthier and happier life, which as you know, we love here on the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. So Todd, welcome to the show, mate. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you. I'm excited to have you here. and I'm really excited to learn about what you do. So, before we jump into talking about your book and food and stuff, like what is a somatic therapist exactly? So, somatic therapy is a term one of my teachers used because we learn so many different types of therapy. It takes 20 minutes to tell everyone what we do. (laughs) And so, somatic, the word itself refers to the refers to the body. And so it's a way that we kind of work through the body using our hands and fingers and and knuckles and all that to accomplish some interesting things. Yeah, right. So I guess, you know, from the intro, I I took that it's sort of like multiple different schools of massage and say acupressure and whatnot. So is it, I guess, is it about manipulating the body in order to for muscle recovery, for... Well, if you learn enough, it becomes about everything, you know? So some people get into the aspects where you're, you know, working through the muscle and the fascia and putting people back together, say, after accidents or for athletics, things along those lines. But as you go farther, it has a really interesting um, way of getting into the mind and the emotions and digestion and all kinds of interesting uh, roots into the health and body. And, and more to that, what kind of things does... 
I guess, your daily practice include? Because there's some broad areas that you just mentioned there. So, like, what does it include your normal sort of day as a somatic therapist? So, if I use today as an example, uh, my first client came in and we worked with chronic anxiety. So, we worked through the body to help bring her chronic anxiety that she feels from her, uh, her general work life, which is so busy. I also saw someone who had had a car accident. So we spent a lot of time working mechanically through the neck and shoulders to help with whiplash and along the spine to bring some of the pain down from that. Tomorrow, I'll be working with someone with digestive issues. And we use visceral, I'm sorry, visceral manipulation for that, which works around the stomach and intestines and gets into some really interesting things that way. Yeah, that sounds super interesting. And I guess you wrote about food. So how did you end up writing about food when you're sort of, you know, working with the body in the types of way that you're talking about? Like, what, what was the connection there? And how did it how did you bridge it? So I, I guess one of my great passions in life was to build methods for working through health generally. And uh, so I as I've worked over the years to put some things together, I was trying to figure out a good way to build a like a base to teach some of the other things I'd like to teach. And it seems like I know tons of people who are struggling with food. And so food was a good place to start. And I had to make my own method for myself because I was struggling. And uh, so I just came about it a little different way than some of the other ways that diets usually work. I find that's a common theme throughout the podcast because a lot of people, I think, that work in the natural health world are motivated by maybe the conventional system not working for them. And so they had to kind of find their own answers. And I guess you kind of alluded to, to that just then. Are you able to tell us a bit about your own journey? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so growing up, when I was really young, I had tons of digestive issues. Um, basically, every part of the journey through me kind of was painful. So um, it hurt in my stomach and it hurt in my intestines. And so I talked to many doctors over the years trying to find good ways to work through that. And there were some things that helped along the way, but to actually get it all the way healed took me through a lot of just different therapies and then all the way to working with a functional medicine doctor. Um, and it turns out I'd had a few infections that I picked up from a tick when I was young. and It kind of really damaged my body as I got older, as well as some genetic things that I picked up from both my parents. So there was a lot of things working against me I had to find a way to work through. Yeah, wow. And that's really scary. Talking about ticks, it seems to be a common uh, thing that sort of functional medicine deals with that uh, isn't necessarily dealt very well with in conventional medicine. Yeah, and I hear a lot of people talking about that as well. I have a number of friends that went through that that we kind of found through the, the same way, looking to find some of our help, find some help through whatever means we could. But it sure seems like there's a lot of things that kind of go under the radar with a lot of the traditional medical model um, that a lot of the functional medicine people are picking up on. So. Yeah, and I think one of those major things is what your book is about, right? Diets, like diet and nutrition. And that was one of my own epiphanies throughout my own journey uh, of you know, sort of progressing towards more natural health from conventional, you know, medical science uh, was that, you know, diet and nutrition is not taught in medical schools at all, pretty much. There's one or two lectures and, you know, most people come out knowing that fiber is somewhat useful and that's about it. So, why do you think diets, modern diets don't work? Because I know in your book, you mentioned that, you know, Diets don't work because they don't work on the deeper emotional and metaphysical stuff. So, how did you come to discover not only that diet and nutrition was important, but the layer deeper, the emotional and metaphysical is not, you know, it doesn't work without those factors involved? Well, in a lot of ways, I came to that out of sheer desperation, just trying to figure it out on my own. So, I would speak to doctors and I would read everything available and uh, 
eventually I just like, well, I'm going to have to figure this out on my own. And then over the years, I would trip over things like I might read something that someone wrote 2000 years ago in India, and that would jog some things for me. Um, and so I began to see, you know, in a lot of ways, we separate human beings out so much. So their mind is over there and their body's over here and their emotions are over there. Um, and that's useful for like breaking things down to see where the problem lies. But ultimately, we function with all those things at the same time. Um, and with diet in particular, people, are, they kind of disappear when they eat. They don't even like pay attention to themselves or um, what they're feeling or why they're eating at that time. So much of it is routine and habit and emotions and uh, all kinds of things play into that that's outside of the food itself. I think a lot of people that have been on some type of weight loss journey can relate to exactly what you're saying because, and I, I again, this is another point of my own learning was doing lots of public speaking gigs all over the country and the world and, you know, people, information doesn't change people and it took me to do lots of public speaking to realize that because it's so much more. Like behavior and habits are so, so deep that, you know, a one-hour lecture or or a, or a talk from a doctor in, in a seven-minute appointment is n- not going to change your behavior to produce the outcomes that you need because you've been doing the behaviors that produce the current outcome you've got for, you know, decades. Yeah, it's really a lot to change and to almost refurbish. Like you got to take everything apart and start from the beginning and then really look at yourself and build up from there. Because it's just like you said, information doesn't really change anything. You got to take it and then apply it and apply it and apply it and apply it until you're (laughs) sick of even looking at it. And then change starts to come from that, I think. So how do we go about healing or including that kind of rewiring process in for our emotional pathways in the context of what we eat? Where do we begin to, to address that? I think the first step is to try to stay aware while you eat. So just kind of make it a practice and, and don't worry too much about what you see. Just look at what you're feeling, like try to feel what you're going through when you're about to eat. Maybe don't watch TV for a little while, that kind of thing while you're eating so that you recognize more and more of what you're doing while you're there. I think it's the first step because most people, they don't really know what they're feeling. Most of the time, we're kind of like trained out of that as we grow up. Um, And so it's a good practice to get back to that. And then you can start to see that, well, you're eating now because you're so frustrated from what happened at work, or you're eating now because you're stressed out about the big meeting you have tomorrow, or you're eating now because um, your family always ate at 5 p.m., you know, and so there's all these little things that turn up. And so you got to like turn up the volume on yourself to see what it is that you're doing and not be judgmental at that time, because that'll just throw you back into all that emotional stuff. But just see what's actually there. Um, And once you do that, you can start to reprogram your mental and emotional habits with food that can last um, beyond just a couple days and and beyond just willpower of getting through it so it becomes a little more permanent. Yeah, that sounds great. I definitely uh, think permanent change is what people are after. (laughs) It's hard to get. What holds people back though? Um, I think what holds people back the most, I have to think about that for a quick second. Yeah, there's a few things. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's like I could come up with a couple really quickly. Um, but in a lot of ways, I think it's almost the habits that they don't explore. They don't look at it as something to like um, that has a mental component and an emotional component and a social component and a lot of history that's built up into it. Um, for instance, I was talking to a lady once who needed to lose a lot of weight. And uh, she told me that everyone knows everyone has to eat a whole potato with every meal. And I was a little dumbfounded. I'm like, I don't think anyone knows that, but you and your family, you know? <laughs> yeah, what is that? <laughs> yeah, it blew my mind. So in, in some ways, it's finding what you think is normal and changing that. So. Yeah, well, I, I mean, especially in Australia, America, England, the, the whole world, even nowadays, I think 
yeah, what people know is clearly causing a planet of fat, sick, and nearly dead people. And so what we know in our own homes is clearly not the right thing to do. Yeah, it's clearly leading us down a bad path. And it just seems to be kind of getting worse over time with the problems people are having with weight and digestive issues and all the things that come from that. I think we need a little bit new standard. Oh, for sure. And I was wondering, do you think um, like whilst trying new habits out and exploring possibilities moving forward is certainly, you know, the way to change, do you think the biggest challenge people face is being addicted to who they already are? Yeah, absolutely. And probably in a lot of ways going beyond diet as well, but we get so... um, what enamored almost or attached to who we are and where we came from and trying to move that forward in a way that we don't always like pull it apart and look at it and say, well, this piece is good. And this piece could probably go away. And I could pick up this piece from this group of people over there. And this guy said this 3000 years ago, and that's pretty helpful to me right now. I'm just being willing to kind of like look through everything and pull it apart. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you'll receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely an exploration. And that's why I guess with my own uh, online program, although it is an eight-week program, I have an eight or a 12-week program, it's all to get sort of the 12-month goal or the, or the lifestyle goal. It's those, you know, those cookie-cutter diets that are like, you'll lose all this weight in this tiny amount of time. And it's like, well, actually, you know, we're, we're moving towards a consistent baseline of health rather than just deprivation and restriction for a few weeks and then (laughs) eating you know pizza finally on week 13 when it's all over yeah absolutely and i think that's one of the things people trip over is like what's the easy way to do this by tomorrow at 334 (laughs) and i don't want to change my diet or these things it doesn't quite work that way um the good part about the habit thing though is if you build good new habits and you you build good new like an emotional routine around your food and good new habits with like a mental routine around food that'll start to pick up and reinforce itself over time too. It's just kind of getting to that point takes a little bit of stuff. Yeah, and I think it's that stuff that you're referring to that people struggle with because all of us health professionals out there we're always trying to make things easier for people easier 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 and the thing that confuses me what well, doesn't confuse me i guess i understand it but that sort of 
uh, I guess bothers me about uh, all of us trying to simplify things so much is clearly it can't get much more simple. Like everybody knows. And I think as well for most people, you know, they fear the pain of change. And I, I really think that that's an inherent like part of growth and development. And, you know, like things are going to be a bit difficult from time to time. And whilst willpower is not a useful tool because it runs out, unfortunately, there is some, you know, you've got to put some skin in the game and have some grit to get through these changes. Yeah. And clearly there's some, there's some real work to that, you know, and I think people kind of fear when you use that word. And so that was one of the things I was trying to accomplish with the book was to give them a way to get through the work that didn't feel like they were you know, running up a hill in the rain <laughs> or snow both ways, you know, that kind of thing. So it's just something that they could, you could kind of use to reinforce change over time that you do every day that you really kind of start to dig into yourself a little bit. And then to, you know, I, I tried to do in the book a lot was um, make people feel good about making those changes because often people feel dismayed by how little changes at the beginning, you know, trying to almost emotionally reinforce so that people can make those changes and do the the work that's revolved or involved in that kind of activity. So it's not always easy to find a cheerleader with some of that. Yeah, totally. Now, celebrating the small wins, you know, they're the ones that get you there. I call it um, in my program, my clients, I call it one tweak a week. We just make one small change a week and then that becomes normal. And then we make another small change and then that becomes normal. And it's just like, you know, a hundred baby steps to a sustainably healthy life, you know? Absolutely. And finding a good way to do that and to kind of make it fun is useful. It's it's one of the things I learned from learning languages that might take you two or three years to really go far with it is you need these like short winnable goals. Otherwise, the thing seems overwhelming. You know, if you try to climb a mountain tomorrow, you may not be able to do it, but you could certainly learn to walk from here to the mailbox and come back and, you know, kind of work from there. Oh, absolutely. And noticing and celebrating those goals is so important to, you know, having that positive reinforcement about that change. You bet. And it starts to teach you how to use your emotions in a little different way. You know, so much of what we do, particularly as we learn to um, go after heavy goals, it's so much just get through the pain, just slog through it that we, we don't really build a good set of tools for rewarding ourselves and keeping our emotions up long term as you move through some of those things. And that's a whole new skill set to learn that, that helps along that journey. How do you think is like, what do you think is important to making these changes sustainable? Is it the incremental change over a long period of time or is there sort of something once you get there that you need to implement in order to make this the new baseline or the new consistent day to day? You know, I think it's two things. Um, first, it's putting attention on it every day. So that your mind is on it, that your attention is fully on the thing that you're trying to do. And then you make sure, I think it's really important to do it every day, at least on some level, so that there's at least one victory that moves you in that direction every day, which might be, you know, you, you cut down, like as a diet example, from five Cokes to two Cokes, you know, and then maybe next week you get down to one Coke or whatever it might be. So that every single day, there's something you see that, hey, I, I made a difference. Something worked here. Um, and that could be a little tricky for people because they, they want to accomplish the whole thing like right now. And so you have to be able to reframe it in your mind. So you're like, okay, well, I was at point 412 and I made it to point 400 and that's a victory for me. So then it starts to reinforce itself more from there because you see yourself actually making some progress. 
Yeah, I love what you're saying there because I kind of say the same thing and I remember we spoke before about having some similarities in the way that we do things. But yeah, the whole deprivation, restriction, diet culture is so toxic and so detrimental and it's ruined so many people's metabolisms across the planet and you know, more specifically, it's ruined so many women's bodies just having that horrible diet culture of, okay, on Monday, I have to get rid of, in your example all the Cokes, zero Cokes, and then they're literally their cells are withdrawing. Like that is such a rough way to go about fixing your body, you know, not to mention all the severe calorie restriction that results in amenorrhea and, you know, all of the hormonal issues as well. But yeah, I love that you're celebrating those small goals and not taking that toxic diet culture approach. Yeah, it's one of the things if you watch people, their their self, their identity becomes attached to how they look and you know, all the things that connect to it. And so it becomes this big like emotional monster that people are trying to juggle with. And then there's these little ads that are like, well, if you just take this pill, you lose, you'll lose 300 pounds by Saturday. You know, all these little things that you know <laughs> can't possibly work and will probably damage you. And so, it, it, you know, it does take some reframing and getting outside of someone, like you said, that toxic culture around dieting. So... How um I was sorry I was going to say the Nitality method that you created how does that relate back to the diet stuff that you've written in the book? Well, in a lot of ways, I put in the book I kind of encoded some of the basic steps for changing things in general, and so I put it into a food context so that we could build off it later. Um, and so I already wrote a book about sleep and recovery of energy during the day, and it follows the same steps. So if you if you look in the book, I think I had fourteen steps in there. I have added a couple now that I'll put into further material as it goes, but some of the same steps will fit into like, here's how you learn how to sleep better and recover more energy during the day. So you're not drained all the time. And then we'll take it further from there and further from there. I have those same steps embodied in some exercises and some self-care methods where you're working with your own body. And so I kind of tried to put it all together in a big package that I could kind of give people to renovate their health in kind of a major way in sort of a general way as well, so that they can go from a really bad place to a better place which is something I needed going through all the chronic health problems I had. So it kind of connects everything in a way that you can, you can get your mind around it and then work from step to step. Where can people find the book online or find you online? Yeah, so the book is almost everywhere that you can buy books. So it's definitely on Amazon. It's in the Apple bookstore. It's in the Barnes & Nobles. Um, it's in a bunch of other stores I'd never heard of before, so um, they made it pretty easy to find. Um, if you're looking to find me, um, my website is nitality.com, and that's N-Y-T-A-L-I-T-Y, which is just a play on my last name and the word vitality. <laughs> Nothing too crazy about that. So, And then also I have a Facebook um, author page, which is my full name, which is Todd Nils Nihom, and Nils is spelled N-I-L-S, and then Nihom is N-Y-H-O-L-M. Wonderful. Thanks so much. And I appreciate you being here. And for anybody that has enjoyed this episode or knows someone that they can share it with that would get some benefit, please take a screenshot of this episode or share it with a friend or a loved one and chuck it into your social media story, whichever platform you hang out on, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, uh, and tag both uh, myself and Todd. And all our links will be in the show notes below. And so to finish up, Todd, uh, what is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about? I think the way I would answer that is how much health impacts every part of your life. Um, And so it really does change how much you enjoy life. And so starting from that context, health begins to have a a more important place in people's lives. Um, So health in and of itself, I think, is something people should be working on all the time. Yeah, I 
totally agree with that completely. Hence, hence why we're here podcasting together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, Todd. Thanks so much for being on the show, man. I would love to have you on again in the future if you're open to it. But um, I hope you have a good day and we'll chat to you soon. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.